Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler. And today I have a very special returning guest. You may remember her from the episode where we talked about what is happening with teachers and the education system. Um, And that is my buddy, Jane. Jane, welcome back to the pod. Hello. For some reason, I am still teaching. (laughs) She's still in it, folks. But now I'm here to complain about books. (laughs) Yes. So as you may have noticed from the title, we are going to be talking about some trends that have been going around on book talk. Um, this episode was inspired because after I did my two parts on A Court of Thorn and Roses, Jane DM'd me and was like, I have thoughts. And I said, yes, bring those thoughts to the pod. So today we're going to be talking about a couple of things that kind of come up in the world of book talk. If you're not on TikTok or the internet, this is just the name that gets applied to the part of TikTok where people talk about books, influencers talk about books, and where a lot of like book marketing gets kind of... I guess, grass-rooted. Is that a word? (laughs) It is now. (laughs) It is now. Um, But first, we want to talk a little bit about some, because this is a feminist psychology podcast, we want to talk about some of the tropes that show up and the way that women in book talk books tend to get portrayed. Um, Yeah, it's not always the best. (laughs) No. Uh, And because Jane is an English teacher and has a degree in 
what is it literature I think English? She's in English she's I speak words good she know book I know book <laughs> I know book uh, I thought that you would be the perfect guest to come on and talk about this stuff so why don't you kick us off with some of the, th- the thoughts or things you've noticed in terms of how women are represented in these very popular book talk books okay I want to start off by saying first I am very happy for anyone who reads. Yes. <laughs> as long as not a book that like hates on anyone, like you love what you love, that is great for you. Amen. I great love disclaimer. More women in literature is a great thing. Amen. And I am not saying that's awful or in any way. Like I am not here to yuck anyone's yums in the words of one of my friends. <laughs> um, but dear God, I hate Sarah Dream Moss. <laughs> <laughs> I have read, okay, I've read 80 books so far this year, and that's usually what I average every year. Congratulations. Thank you. They're You're usually better trash. Than everyone. I'm better than everyone. I only read Frankenstein and, no. <laughs> I only usually read, like, romance, fantasy, sci-fi. Those are my favorite things, which is terrible as an English major, because most people come up to me and just want to talk about Jane Austen, which I also love, but I'm like, that's usually not, I'm reading, like, yeah. You can't read 80 books a year if you're only reading Jane Austen. No. I would read, like, I think I went back to try rereading Wuthering Heights because I really do like Wuthering Heights. I tried it during the school year, and I think I got, like, 10 pages in a month. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this. I need like, to go back. Back to fantasy she goes. And back to romance fantasy. So I, I do love that genre. That is not the problem. I'm not here with, like, my nose in the air saying fairies are dumb. My favorite book this year was Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies. There's a book work already for you guys. <laughs> there you go. Um, the problem I've been having, and this spans back, so there's been a lot of heroines in literature that have been coming out. A lot of people attribute it probably back to The Hunger Games as mm. one of the first with Katniss Susan Everdeen. Collins. Exactly. And then I think after that was Divergent. Was pretty big. Which is a lesser Hunger Games. In it's my not opinion. great. I don't like Divergent. No. Loved Hunger Games. I think matched the selection. Like These are other dystopian YA books where... Yeah the feminine heroine started coming into play. And the problem that I was having with it was I was noticing that these women characters, and I see this in Marvel movies too, these female characters feel more like male characters that have just been slightly rewritten as women. It's like, let's put a male character, but give them a traumatic history of sexual assault. and a really unpleasant paint job. Exactly. (laughs) Because let's let's say, for example, there's no problem with having a strong woman, like a trait that's usually associated with male characters, right? Yeah. Um, Katniss Everdeen, for example, very strong heroine. She hunts for her family. She's not interested in, like, being polite or playing a social game. Her hair is always in a a dirty braid. All the time. Yeah, does not. And leaves. Exactly. (laughs) They put makeup on her, and she's like, what is happening? She throws up. Exactly. (laughs) She's like, this is the worst day of my life. But... Like, once, I feel like in a lot of these books, like, let's say Court of Thorn and Roses, for example, we have the main character who, oh, I don't know, hunts for survival, <laughs> doesn't like to be put in pretty clothes, uh, has her hair back all the time. In a braid. In a braid. The uh, interesting a thing. A coronet. Sorry. Oh, it's I'm always sorry. described as a coronet. Oh, dear God. This woman. She's like, how can I put crowns in here? Anyway. <laughs> So the thing I noticed is the moment that these female characters meet a male protagonist and they're suddenly in a safe situation, those are no longer part of their character. Mm -hmm. It's like they're not strong anymore. Mm -hmm. 
like they get jealous a lot is a big character trait that they give a lot of these women. They're like, oh, what we- what weakness could we possibly give a woman? Jealousy for a man. Jealousy <laughs> all of the time. Lack of communication, which is like that's what women are known for. <laughs> Not talking to each other. As we are two women having a conversation. <laughs> I just, like, that's always the problem is the communication. So, for example, Carter Thorn Roses, the moment she is with um, Tamlin, right? Mm-hmm. That's she, the first one. She is just completely different. Like, she tries to also survive. She tries to put herself forward as being this strong character, but constantly calls him, like, her protector mm-hmm. and saying how she needs him and feels, like, cornered by him, so healthy for a relationship, (laughs) and it's just, like, I wish some of these traits would continue with a lot of these female characters, Mm because it feels like they either completely go away, or my problem, for example, with Throne of Glass was she is lauded as this, like, huge, amazing, best assassin in the entire world. Yeah, and then she gets beaten up every other page. Constantly. And, like, I get she was, like, put in a terrible situation for a year, but it's, like... Also, so spoilers alert if you haven't read Throne of Glass. Who cares? She... Yeah, it's fine. You find out later in the series who she is. She's, like, the queen of this conquered land. Who's the first person she kisses? The prince of the king who murdered her entire family. And it's and not people. like she had amnesia. She knew who he was. Yes. You find out that she knew exactly who he was. And she felt like a little bit of guilt, but she wasn't really that. She, well, she was more she... about the captain. Yeah. Like kissing. <laughs> God, I hate it. Start not cold. <laughs> Kale. <laughs> Kale. Uh, I, we can't talk about Throne of Glass right now because it will I make me upset. <laughs> she just throws letters in a blender to get these names. Or it's like, what did I have for lunch today? Kale. Let's just spell that How different. How do we medievify that? How do we take the name Selena and make it dumb? I do think Selena is the weakest of the Moss characters. Yes. But I think that was also her it, first it was her series. First, yeah. So I, I get it. I think she came up with the idea when she was a teenager. I look back yeah. at my ideas when I was a teenager and I'm like, oh, just, not no. good. I had a lot of ideas when I was a teenager too. <laughs> not good. I had a thin they all them. had colored eyes. <laughs> Purple eyes. And that's what she has. She has gold rimmed oh, blue eyes. Oh, no, you're right. And like, is she the one with silver hair? No. Did I just. No, but the witch, the witch character in Throne of Glass has. See, here's the other hair. problem I have. So I've read, as we've said, I've read many books this year. I have a problem. It is my form of escapism instead of doom yes, scrolling. It is her. <laughs> coping skill it is my coping mechanism after teaching all day and i've gotten to the point so i started a reading journal because i couldn't remember these characters like i would think at these books and be like wait did that happen in this one or this one because they blended together they all blended together and it was all of these female heroes who had these like um magical powers they didn't know about that they got, like, really OP, super fast, at the perfect moment, and there's no training montage for these women. (laughs) They are very, they're very jealous, they're very petty, they don't think they're pretty. That's the one thing I liked about Selena, is that she is vain. She's incredibly vain. I actually did. She loves money. It's very annoying at times, but I liked it, because I I, I liked it, and I think it ties in later to the fact she's, like, a queen. Yeah, because Moss's other female protagonists are very much this trope of like, I'm the hottest woman in the world, but I am not going to acknowledge it and it's Mm -hmm. not important to me, which I think is like you were saying, it's the Katniss Everdeen plot. Like, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, let's not bring Twilight in yet. That's a whole other episode. But this whole this is kind of the track that we've been on since I would say like the 2010s in terms mm-hmm. of female protagonists and very popular books is I'm super hot, but I don't care about it. But that's what's different about Selena. She's like, stop punching me in my face because I like to be hot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I actually like that. I do appreciate with Sarah G. Moss too. I'll give her a couple good things is like her, her characters are very openly sexual too. Like yeah. they have, it's not just like you're the one and you're my soulmate forever right. and ever. It's like, Hey, I really like you. And then sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. And you don't know if that's the person she's going to end up with. And that's really good. Now in Throne of Glass, <laughs> that happens a lot. It's like four times. And then when you finally get to the person she's with, you're like, this one? This is this is the one <laughs> this that is the she... one we settled on. But I do, I, it's something I appreciate because you don't see it that often. Which, right. yes, reading and literature is an escape for a lot of people. And it's fantasy, so you can do what you want. But in the real world like when you're writing what you know people aren't just with one person all the right, time and right. it's always these like it's still going back to this maiden character of like she's untouched and she blushes all the time and it happens with the main character in a court of thorn and roses where it's like this woman killed like a wolf fairy <laughs> and was not terrified at all and then gets kissed and is like freaking out and <laughs> throwing up yeah throwing all up. the time it's just like my life is ruined <laughs> like i can't deal with this and i'm like girl yes you can you're fine it's a man like it's just a 500 year old man oh and that that too that trope is everywhere so i was recently also reading um there's an author jennifer l armentrout mm-hmm. who all of these authors, I don't know if they, like, meet on Tuesdays and have coffee and decide their book title names. <laughs> They're all the same. Like, all of her books are, I think it's of blood and ash is what it's called. It's always of oh my God. blank and blank. And I can never get these books straight. That doesn't help. When the it doesn't help. No. And she has two series, too, set in this universe, and they're all written like that, and I never know which book I'm on. It's like, of flesh and fire. <laughs> like, the most unique one she had, I think, was called, like, War of Two Queens. Still got an oven there, though. But with this one, it was the same thing where she leaned into it, where her main character in one of her series is called The Maiden. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the whole, like, thing is that she's supposed to be this, like, virginal, untouched, perfect character. Yeah. And, of course, ends up meeting, like, a billion-year-old vampire man. And <laughs> and that's it. It's over It's over for her. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, okay, great. Good for you. Uh, she's also one of those characters. The, the thing I like about those books, they're not well-written. They're very fun. They're not well-written. I don't think she got an editor to, like, book five. But she is another character that it's kind of the opposite. Instead of being a character that starts off violent... <laughs> And hunting in the woods for her family, she becomes that way as the series goes on. Like, yeah. she gets really angry at how she was treated and learns how to fight and just has zero mercy. Like, there's point, because that's what you'll see a lot is like they make the female characters have mercy and More forgive. So than a male character mm-hmm. would. Yeah. There's always these themes of forgiveness, like letting go of the anger. Yeah. And with this character, they do not do that. Like, she straight up murders anybody who she has revenge against. Which, again, though, it's, like, that's fun to read and it's different, but it still feels like, okay, we're just making a heroine who's just the same characteristics as a male 
character. Yeah. yeah. Like, they don't communicate. They don't talk. There's misunderstandings throughout the whole book series. A lot of the characters will have, like, anxiety. They are terribly insecure. Even Selena, despite being vain, is super insecure and questioning herself the whole time. She's a darkness inside her, a dark pit. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm evil, and I have these yeah. terrible powers. Even though her entire life was to be trained to be the most deadliest assassin in all the land she can never get over like what it means to kill someone yeah like I I think Selena's character would have been more interesting if she was just a ruthless killer and didn't care which Moss is capable of writing those types of characters because characters because Fury in Crescent City is that is someone who like Mm -hmm. she's literally a mercenary but she's not a main character you don't get to learn too much about her and then just randomly Fury is like the only queer character in the book and you're like oh <laughs> like really surprise <laughs> took you like 16 books to write one Sergeant <laughs> yeah and that was the other thing i think crescent city was one of my favorites of hers because the main character is so different like she is just this party girl and i'm yeah. fine with flawed characters i love flawed characters because i love seeing them like change and grow as challenges are thrown at them yeah of course and she changes in a way that I feel like makes sense, but still keeps like a lot of her self because she she learns like I have never taken anything seriously in my life, which is I yeah. think something that everyone can relate to. Like it is a great flaw for a character versus yeah. just they are jealous. Right. And it's like the world is ending. There's a million wars going on. This is not the flaw that you should yeah. be focusing Cause on. Because Bryce's inability to like commit truly because that's Mm -hmm. kind of like her core character flaw is she can't make a decision and commit it doesn't just affect her romantic relationship it's affected every part of her life and you know and I think Moss plays a lot with ideas of like fate and she loves the mating yeah but like Bryce does have to wrestle with fate in an interesting way because her core character trait is she just can't decide and she can't like commit to a path. And I do think I do like Crescent City. I mean, I've already said this. I love A Court of Thorn and Roses and you'll never pry those books I from know. my cold dead hands. But look at us communicating about our differences like real human women. Like women do and not being oh my god. That's the other thing is I'm like whenever these it, it reminds me of in film, right? They do like the Bechdel test. Yeah. I feel like these books never it could pass of, that. A lot of book talk books do not pass. Like so test. many of these characters do not have female friends. Throne of Glass, all of her female friends are dead by the end. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Like I don't think she has any female friends at the point where I am. The point where I am, she's had one and she got brutally murdered. Brutally. Yeah. Like really brutally Really murdered. brutally murdered. Yeah. And it's like, okay, great. And it was like her as like a sacrifice martyr, which also feels like something they do to women a lot. Like, it's literally the, what is that, refrigerator girlfriend yes. trope? They yeah. don't do it with like the male characters of like, let's kill off the male character to motivate the other yeah. male. It's, well, it's, or. Rowan in Throne of Glass does have that. Where that's true. His pregnant woman got murdered. But that's of course true. she had to be pregnant. That's, yes. <laughs> so even, there's this fantasy series I love, um, the Codex Alera, and it's a six-book series that also deals with war between kingdoms, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I have such a problem with books, fantasy books that deal with this war concept and these hidden powers, hidden princesses, because I've seen it done so well. <laughs> and I think it's Jim Butcher does such a great job with it, and his female characters, because I think he does a rotating POV of like six characters, and all of his female characters are warriors. And they're super strong. Even the aunt or mom of the main character 
she is somebody who's not a fighter at the beginning and you see her struggle with violence and Mm -hmm. like not getting a peaceable solution even though she's super super strong and really Mm -hmm. good with her magic and as the series goes on she has to kind of reconcile with it and like try to save people and kind of balance those consequences so you see that conflict with her even though she's such a strong character the other warrior characters too are like really good at also like communicating with each other and communicating with the men there's never really any miscommunications like Mm -hmm. they'll be very open about like this is where you fucked up yeah (laughs) or this is what i need from you because we are in a war and this is a petty thing we're dealing with yeah we're not dealing with uh jealousy when we have to like save our entire people exactly the one thing i didn't like and i'm like do they have to can i just have one fantasy book series that doesn't do this where one of the characters who is a badass, like, it's the first character you start with, she's the coolest character, in the, one of the coolest in the whole series, I think he made her too cool, and was like, I don't know what conflict to give her now, despite there being, you know, multiple wars going on, so the conflict was that, like, she can't get pregnant, because of this childhood illness she had. Oh, no. And I'm like, dude, you were so close. You were so close to just having a good series, where the males and females are treated equally, and they're all really cool and diverse people with diverse flaws and 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 you had to you had to pull the, the can't get pregnant card you had to pull it you had we to pull can't it. we can't always have nice things jane there was no sexual assault i was like my bar is so low for these books <laughs> so that is that is an interesting point that you brought up so just in comparison i've only read 33 books this year so i'm i'm way behind jane i am finally okay <laughs> Side note, Grace and I went to elementary school together, and she beat me every year in AR points, and this is like me getting revenge for my childhood. This is your corrective experience. Of you always getting to go to Jack in the Box with the teachers. Yes, I got a lot of weird... I got a lot of weird rewards for my AR points. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Even though I haven't read as many books as you this year, (laughs) you you brought up something that I, I hadn't really considered, which is like how much of these specifically the fantasy books have female main characters where their biggest issue or their biggest motivator is a history of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and we had a fun little text conversation about this because this is how we talk (laughs) oh women talking again (laughs) women be talking now that's also an incredible film about sexual assault though women talking i recommend it um but that we could do another episode Um, but you brought up some really good points about like that the sexual assault is something that is so defining and it's like the only trauma that writers can think of to give their female characters. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I just wanted to hear a little bit of your thoughts about like when you notice that and how you think that kind of plays out in this trope. I think, I mean, it makes me sad because it's so many women authors that are doing this. So when I was mm-hmm. doing a lot of research, a lot of the, um, like, let's say going back to book talk, a lot of the book talkers are female a lot of the um, romance fantasy writers lately have been women authors and there have been women protagonists, which is great. So it actually surprises me to see them making that the character trauma or character weakness. I don't know if it's like a lot of these authors working through their own issues or if it's them trying to show like, hey, this is a reality that a lot of women deal with. And I get that, but also I'm reading a fantasy book to escape a lot of life's problems. Yeah. And I don't like how often like that that is the issue. I think it can be done very well. 
I think it can be a good, like, it, it can be written well, but when it's the character's only weakness is this trauma they have, and it's like, I yeah. can tell you're doing this just because you don't know how to or you don't want to write a different conflict between, like, these two characters, like, this yeah. these romance um, relationships. It's, it feels like a cop-out of, like, this is the weakness I'm going to give them because so many women have this weakness. Yeah, because it's something, it's something, it's like a cheap relatability factor. Yeah. Like, oh, my audience, who's going to be mostly women, are going to mm-hmm. be able to relate to this because, unfortunately, so women, so many women have experienced some form of sexual assault or harassment. Yeah, and unfortunately, because those books are selling so well, I think we've gotten to the point that authors almost feel like they have to include it. Yeah. Or publishers are feeling like, hey, this female character, I don't think they're relatable enough or they're not traumatized <laughs> enough. Why don't you just throw in some history of sexual assault? And it's like, come on. I was reading this book I was really looking forward to. I've been going down. There's this like new rabbit hole of, of dark academia books mm-hmm. of just like, set in Oxford and they're studying fairies. Everyone's wearing a sweater. Everyone has a sweater. It's my ideal aesthetic. And I read this book that had been recommended a lot and it was a YA book called uh, Study and Drowning and it was a book talk book. And I was like, I want to try it out. I heard it's like fairies and Oxford themed and that sounds great. And of course, this is a fantasy world of, it's not in Oxford, it is made up countries where there are like some mythological creatures uh, later on and they still made it a world it was written by a female author they still made it a world where this female character cannot become a literature major at this college because that is only for men so she's even though she scored top scores they were like women are too fantastical to be able to analyze literature of course weak-minded weak-minded women and then she also so she joins the architecture college because it's the only one she can join and she hates architecture, so she's miserable the whole time. Yeah. She's an anxious wreck, and then she gets sexually assaulted by her professor, which is alluded to throughout the whole novel. Gross. She has anxiety whenever a man, like, looks at her. Basically, almost gets assaulted again later in the book. Gross. <laughs> Only likes the male protagonist, I'm pretty sure, because he, like, doesn't try to sexually assault her You know, that's a bonus point for him. <laughs> and she's like, wow, there's men that, that don't try... To, to immediately, immediately violate me. Yeah, yeah. Make me feel uncomfortable and unsafe. Cool. And I was like, what? I wanted to read about fairies. <laughs> Just let me have my fairies. In Oxford. And this is what I get. Thrown back into, like, reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I think you're making a good point that if we're, a lot of people are reading, especially fantasy for escapism, it is upsetting that these these kind of human world problems follow us in my theory when we were talking about this was that i think we could look at it as a form of repetition compulsion that because so many books are written by women there is something to women trying to maybe like reclaim something or work through the trauma of their own assault and i mean moss is very sarah j moss herself is very clear that that's what she's doing in her books the thing that i think it's frustrating is when it's happening the same time same way over and over again and there's never any different resolutions and i think we would love to see it if every character maybe there are some characters that don't heal from being sexually assaulted and it breaks them like that is also a possibility that you could throw in there. It doesn't have to always be, oh, and then I find out 200 pages to the end that I have every magic power in the universe. And so it doesn't matter that a man violated me because <laughs> I'm a queen. <laughs> and the thing is, that is is so very true and so very valid because 
The other problem I have is how, like, I feel like men should be mad at these books because so many of these men are also portrayed in a very one-sided way Mm -hmm. and they're portrayed as very like physical aggressive large um they growl a lot like they're just like large men in a in a period of what we had shark king summer recently right but if you put that in a romance book book talkers are going to be angry nobody wants to hear about a tiny man romancing a large woman no it's it's it was just so interesting because there was also that that period, especially after the the Resident Evil games, where people were like tall women, like just <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the step on me era, essentially. <laughs> and I'm like, no one wrote a book with this like no, power dynamic. No, so they write these aggressive, survival based, trauma induced <laughs> females, and then the men are worse, and then they somehow expect that that's going to heal them? Like, they're like, I fell in love, so I'm cured. And I'm like, girl, you need therapy. They're never therapists no. in these universes. That would be, okay, if Jane and I, drop your comment below, should Jane and I write a fantasy book series about a fairy therapist? I literally have thought about a book idea where it's just, this is how much these books have triggered me. I have two book ideas. One where it's just a therapist who is counseling all of these these people who yeah. have not like they've saved the world and are just like why am i not fixed yeah. it's like girl you got ptsd and then the other one was it's like just someone's mom like one of these characters moms who's not dead miraculously yeah that's another one that's another mom. one the dead mom even sarah J. moss loves that one Gosh. a dead mother did you know in the throne of glass books she never says what the dad's name is he has no name really there's like eight books and at no point, or six books, what, how many books are there for Agatha? I have no idea. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but the, the whole time it's just her father. You never know his name. In Court of Throne of Roses or Throne of Glass? Court of Throne of Roses. Yeah, because I was going to say, yes, I think I just read the one where they talked about who her dad's name in Throne of Glass. But yeah, he yeah, was just Court of Throne of Roses. her father, the merchant, the merchant prince. Yeah, you never, I'm like, I know this is, parts of it are um, Beauty and the Beast based. Like yes, we talked 100%. about that. And it's like her dad. Is another trope I think we can put to bed. We can. We, we get don't it. Need this we get anymore. Beauty and Beast. We get it. I love, okay, I just love so much that I can imagine her thought process for this perfectly of like, I love fairy tale retellings, which girl, I get it. Same. Same. I want to do Beauty and the Beast because I grew up loving that. I'm a reader. I loved Belle. Yeah. So I'm going to do a retelling, but it's fairies. And she can't and read. And she can't read. <laughs> relatable part about Belle. Yes, I'm going to take it. She can't read. And then I'm going to give her a competition. <laughs> she crucially has to she read. She crucially needs to be able to read. Where if she could only read, she would she be fine. She would have been fine. And or she like was a reader, she would have solved that riddle I mean, she's, immediately. Yeah, she still was fine. But it, that was... Well, she wouldn't have needed a man. Yeah, I don't know if it was intentional or not. Like if this was to be this tense moment. But to me, it was hilarious i i do have to i have to concede that point to you it is i loved it's it tough it's and a tough choice i loved it so much like, like i mean i guess that's the same thing with the tangled movies where where it was like let me write rapunzel but we're gonna chop her hair off yeah what if it was rapunzel but she had a bob actually now that i'm thinking about it that's kind of what a lot of these fairy tale retellings are there's the ya book cinder 
Yes. And she's a, a which I love those Marissa Meyer books. She's she cyborg Cinderella. She's a cyborg. Yeah. So she, instead of losing a heel, she loses her whole she foot. She loses the whole foot. <laughs> those books, actually, do you know what? Marissa Meyer, she does fall into some tropes. She does, she does some things not great. But also it's because she's being inspired. She does mostly fairy tale retellings. She goes dark, which I really appreciate. And the thing is with her books, with the Cinder series, or the Lunar Chronicle series, Every book is a different female protagonist, and they all feel different. Mm, that's good. And I think that's the problem I've had with a lot of these books, is it's like they don't feel any. Like, stop giving me this angry, jealous, violent female <laughs> protagonist. And it's like, it, and, and it's almost like these characters are anti-feminist, I think. Mm. Because a lot of the time, they they don't want to look feminine, they don't feel pretty. They don't read. They also, like, I'm trying to think of... They're pick-me-girls. They're pick-me-girls for sure. Definitely, like, that. I'm not like other girls. There's, a like, a rejection of all femininity. They have no female friends. Yeah, I think that's the biggest one, is, like, it doesn't... Whatever, you can play with femininity however much you want but there's this idea of like uh i can't be around other girls and i can't get i don't i don't want to get along with other girls and getting along with other girls makes me weak and they also like reject unless they're your sister yeah they're allowed to have sisters they're allowed to have sisters who usually die tragically or Or disappear (laughs) or betray you yeah like all the women just end up leaving them or dying in a brutally murdered way but they also reject anything that is socially regarded as feminine it's like a lot of these authors want to write a feminist character so bad that they almost reject and and vilify anything that seems feminine like these characters they can't sew and they hate sewing so much because they had to sit for so long they don't like dancing they don't like and i'm not saying these characters have to love these things like they can reject them I don't think it'd be bad to have a warrior character who, when they get nervous, they like to knit. Yeah. And you you don't really... You in both. any of the books I've read, I do not see that. I don't see male characters that are like that either. The males no. are always these strong, aggressive... Oh my god. It's like an angry. impenetrable wall of masculinity. I, I was reading this paper where somebody read A Corthorn and Roses, and they only did two chapters. And they looked at one chapter in particular where it was... Uh, tallying how much like mental action somebody used, like an emotional action that you're talking yeah. about feelings or, or blushing or something like that versus physical. Oh, uh, okay. And in Justin, I think like a five page analysis they did for one part of it, the main character who I think it's, is it told in first person or just it's her told point of view? It's per- first person. Yeah, it's yeah. Vera's. So it's just- Because we're it, in her head. Yeah, we're in her head. You would think like there'd be- a lot more actions in both categories for her in general. There was four actions for her, all mental, mostly blushing. And I think there was 20 for Tamlin, all physical. And it's like claws ripping. Yes. It's all aggressive. Him yeah. grabbing her. The and- amount of times that woman writes the phrase, his claws sheathed out over his fingernails or whatever, I'm like, okay. And yeah. our, our mutual friend, Tatiana, who has also yeah. been on the podcast, pointed out that Moss uses the phrase, picked an invisible piece of lint off. Like, all the time. <laughs> I, I mean, I think all authors are definitely guilty of this. And we'll get to it later, but with Sarah J. Moss, she has been turned into this machine writer yes. of pumping out books. Yes. And I think at some point she's just got to autopilot some parts and just pull yeah. those phrases over and over. It's muscle memory. Because she's like, I got a deadline. <laughs> I got to 
get these books out. Especially with having three ongoing series that she is mm-hmm. a- allegedly bringing all together into a multiverse. Like, yeah, which I've I've heard about parts of that and I've seen glimpses of it. And like, like I said, I do not like these books, <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay for us to have different opinions. <laughs> I won't even say I hate them. I think that's way too strong. I think they're fine. I do think they're fine. I think the relationships are awful. The trauma is not processed in a great way. I get why people like them. I think it's fine that people like them. I don't think they're like so problematic that you're you're poisoning the world, so to speak. They're no Colleen Hoover. (sighs) That's another. Yeah, (laughs) we'll get to that. But I I don't know. I feel like like book talk has created this machine of needing to pump out books so often and like squeezing what they can out of a popular author yeah that they just become so beholden to deadlines that they don't get the chance to maybe even write how or what they intend or mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if who is i think james patterson at this point has like a bunch of ghostwriters yeah and that's how he has so many books coming it's like out. a brand yeah and i could see a lot of these authors being turned into that, like just either getting AI to mm-hmm. let's put every Sarah J. Moss books in AI and have them write some new ones, and then we'll just have her edit them. Yeah. Or a ghostwriter edit them. I could 100% see that happening with a lot of authors, and I think that's definitely going to happen, unfortunately, yeah. because it's just this like churning machine of content, and books has just become the next thing for that. Yeah. And, and books are still our slowest form of media so they don't need to be churned out at that rate but i think this is a wonderful transition to the other topic that we wanted to talk about today which is ripping through book talk is the way that these books are marketed and published or the way that publishing content is marketed through influencers and you know just tiktok in general um so i know you have a lot to say about it so before we um you know dive too deep into book talk publishing or marketing i just wanted to bring up a couple of points um from this article called applications of evolutionary psych and marketing by unfortunately named authors sad and gill oh no <laughs> uh and the reason i i wanted to bring up this article is because um i i've talked about this a little bit particularly in my jordan peterson episodes who is my mortal enemy mm-hmm. um that evolutionary psych is a bane on the existence of the psychology field And evolutionary psych is often used in kind of pop psychology and particularly like marketing type things. So this article, although it is in favor of evolutionary psychology, there was a sentence, (laughs) there was a sentence in this article that I just have to read to you. And they just said, at this point, and they're talking about the article, their theory of how evolutionary psych explains marketing they say at this point this is a proposition based on evolutionary predictions and needs to be empirically verified so if that doesn't tell you what evolutionary psych is up to this is not empirically backed this is not necessarily something that can be easily tested because we can't go back and look at what were the evolutionary contexts that humans were developing in like there's too many factors but two things that i just wanted to bring up that i think apply to the way that books get marketed specifically what you might call chick lit and the way it's marketed to women is they talk about there's two um, types of things that men and women differ on the sex differences with marketing and in terms of how much what we consume the first one is about attractiveness evolutionary psych posits that men are attracted to young looking women and hot women (laughs) wow so if you're marketing something to women that's trying to get women to appear attractive to men you're going to market them things that make them look hot and things that make them look young 
So, of course, this comes in terms of things like makeup, skincare. Uh, women spend the majority of their money, or they, they make up the market share of things like cosmetics and cosmetic surgery. But I think we can also apply it to books in that the types of books that are marketed toward women tend to be infantilized books or books where if you see me reading it, you're going to think, oh, she's just a little baby and oh, she can't she, weed. She can't be an English major. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And although, like, as you mentioned up at the top, like, reading is reading. It doesn't matter what you read as yeah. long as it's not, like, literally Hitler's memoirs. Yeah. <laughs> there, there shouldn't be, like, a this book is important and this book isn't. But that's the way that I I see this these principles being applied to m- marketing towards women is, oh, consume all these books and all the characters are young and hot. Yeah. Right? Feyre is 19. Yeah, Selena is 16. Like, they won't believe they're hot, but they're they're still yeah. hot. <laughs> and all the men around them think they're hot. And so that's like this this idea of like, okay, well, if a man wants a young, hot woman, then we're going to market you things that make you feel like a young, hot woman. Whereas on the other end, uh, Evo Sykes says that women are attracted to ambitious, high-earning, industrious men, which mm. I'm like think again Mm -hmm. but this is what they posit and so if we're marketing things toward men we're going to market things toward them that are like you need to look like you are a a overachiever you make a lot of money you can like protect and take care of a woman right these tropes that we've already talked about yeah so books that get marketed to men tend to be things like self-help books or they tend to be like the art of war that no one needs to read because it is literally a war manual for like the 800s you're like none of you are gonna be in war if you are very lucky and even then like war has changed so much and war is also ai now so i don't think we need it it's drones yeah so i think that's just what's what i find interesting and you noted this and we were chatting before the episode that a lot of book talkers are women a lot of the authors are women and the audience is women. And so when we see men in the space of book talk, at least my experience has been they're either they have to justify reading book talk books by saying like, oh, and I also read like three memoirs of generals and yeah. uh, a book on the stock market and a like 5,000 page book on capitalism. <laughs> like that's how they justify. Yeah their thing so there is a difference in the way that marketing is done toward men and women and book talk i think is just a microcosm of the way that things are marketed to women the other thing that i don't think comes up as much in here but this that they noted was sexual arousal is often used in marketing Mm. so that's why all of the advertisements are naked women because men love to see naked women and this one was the, the actual part of the article that was empirically backed they've done research on this and they've measured physiological responses in men and women when they're shown an ad that has a naked woman in it or a semi-naked woman. Yeah. Now, interestingly, both men and women have high levels of physiological arousal, but the men, it's a sexual energized arousal. Women, it's tension and fatigue. They're (laughs) tired of seeing this. (laughs) And when a woman sees an advertisement like this, their response is like, again, like I I don't look like this. Another thing that I have to compete with because I'm competing to be like the hottest, youngest looking woman in the room. So, you know, I think if you want to sell more books to men, we got to start putting more naked women on the covers. Yeah. Uh, And if you want to sell more books to women, no naked women. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah. That's (laughs) how you do it. Like, honestly. Okay. So as an English teacher, it's interesting how things have changed in society where our valedictorians and our highest achieving students at my school have been young women. Mm-hmm. My biggest readers are far always my girls. Mm-hmm. 
my boys are the ones who say reading's dumb, reading's for nerds, I don't read. Like they have a very negative view towards it. And my even those who do read, it's still my girls who read the more like emotional books. Mm-hmm. Um, my boys want nonfiction, mm-hmm. historical fiction, mm-hmm. self-help, mm-hmm. or graphic novels. Fun. <laughs> Which are fun. And I try to sneak in emotional graphic novels without them realizing it. Because they go pictures, and then the book's about, like, this kid dealing with his parents' divorce. Um, and you're like, got him. Like, I got you. <laughs> or, like, I have to give them books with male authors. They don't want to read books with female authors. Mm-hmm. And so I teach a, a very Hispanic, highly Hispanic population. And unfortunately, there is, like, I mean, there is in, in a lot of different societies, right? But I've definitely still dealt with a lot of issues of my the young men having like no good feelings towards women mm-hmm. like not that they're bad with me I want I wouldn't even actually go that far but for example um every year for women's history month I'll have a couple prompts and a couple lessons about famous women I'll try mm-hmm. to integrate it throughout the year but I'll give them a prompt where it's write a letter to a woman who you appreciate or admire mm-hmm. like this can be a famous person they can be alive or dead they can be a family member Like, just a woman who you want to say thank you to. Mm -hmm. And every year, it is always boys that will say, I can't think of anyone. This is literally that bit that's been going around of Billy uh, Eigner saying, name a woman, name a woman. Yes, name a woman. Name a woman. To Oprah. (laughs) They always say Oprah or Michelle Obama. But yeah, it's a problem. And so I have to spin it to them, almost like you're talking about, like I have to make the book attractive to them, where I'll say like... I need you guys to read this book, or here's a book I recommend. It's a romance book, and the boys immediately go, Bleh. Yeah. And I say, a lot of you don't have a girlfriend, and this is why. Mm. You should read this. This is like this is like self-help for yeah. how to get a girlfriend. So I have to frame it like this romance book is self-help of how to get a girl, and then yeah. a bunch of boys would want to read it. Yeah. And there's times where I had a book club, like, picking their book club books, mm-hmm. and one of the books was American Panda, which is this girl who is going to college, and I think it's MIT, she's a bio major, but she's actually a germaphobe and is only doing it to make her parents happy because they want her to be a doctor. Of course. So a lot of my kids can relate to those feelings of parent expectations, Mm -hmm. and they want her to date someone who's the same ethnicity as her, I think uh, Vietnamese, and she wants to date a Japanese guy, and that's not cool. So it's all these like family issues, and I'm like, a lot of my kids can relate to this stuff. Yeah. So they're reading parts of this book, and I have a boy that brings me over, and he's like, hey, I can't relate to this book. And I went, why not? I said, can you not relate to women? And he's like, no, 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 that's not the problem. Like, I can relate to women. And I said, okay, what's the problem? And he's like, well, it's just the stuff she talks about. Like, she talks about going after this guy, and, like, he doesn't feel the same. I said, oh, so you've never liked someone, and they haven't felt the same way. I Mm -hmm. see. And yeah. he's like, no, 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 I, I felt that way. I said, oh, okay, so you can't relate can to relate. it. And he goes, well, she talks about puberty. And I was like, have you not gone through puberty? Do we need to have a conversation? <laughs> Do you need some medicine? And you need medicine? You need to go to the nurse? And he's like, no, like he talks about girl puberty. And I'm like, so there will never be or is not currently a woman in your life who maybe you should know how their body works. Yeah. Like maybe one day you'll have daughters or nieces or like female cousins or a female friend. Yeah. Who, maybe it's a good idea to know what they're going through. Yeah. If there are differences. And he's like, never mind, miss. And then he's writing a reflection later where they have to reflect reflect on each book. Yeah. And he writes a reflection where he puts, I will not be choosing this book 
but not because it's not good or I can't relate to it, but because I am not mature enough to understand. (laughs) So that's where we are right now with today's teenagers. From just a sample size. A little bit of insight, though. Yeah. He'll come back to it when he's ready. (laughs) But yeah, primarily even my students who engage with book talks, I've talked about it with them. I know they're all on TikTok. It is my girls. Or I will say it has become a bigger space for a lot of my students or people who are part of the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of them have found books with character, like character representation and things like that. Yeah, I think there is far more queer representation in books than there are in mm-hmm. specifically like mainstream oh, movies yeah. and TV. Even though, you know, it's changed, but I think books are a place where the complexity of being a queer teenager, being a queer person can be explored more. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing those examples. And I think it shows how, yeah, books are do specifically certain types of books continue to be marketed towards women and there's this like reluctance of men or people who don't identify as women to engage with them um and what we're seeing are like our subjective experiences of it is it's also like a canon a water canon of content yeah and like you said these authors are turning into writing machines there's never like a dull moment there's always a book coming out and i think the most egregious perpetrator of this <laughs> content I know what you're gonna say. is colleen hoover, colleen hoover. <laughs> I, my students like her, and it's the only reason that I'm, like, fine. A lot of people like her. Again, like, I'm not going to get that again, as young, but dear If Lord. you like to read her, you like to read her. Yeah. I have personally not read a single one of her books because they all sound deeply painful. I hope to never read one. <laughs> ever. And my, my students love it. And I'm also like, you know what? This kid has read two books in their whole life. I'm not going to discourage Ooh, this. Yeah, we're not going to Like, that. here are more. I, I just am doing what I yeah. can. <laughs> But, yeah, I've had a lot of, like, talking about toxic relationships, I've had so many problems with her and her writing style and stuff like that. And I know, so something I was reading when I was doing some research was that Book Talk, because it is a steady community, but it's Mm -hmm. still not a large community. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at the top Book Talkers, all of them are under a million followers. Like, the highest was 800,000. Wow, okay. That's pretty small in terms Mm -hmm. of TikTok. And then for book youtube as well there was only one i could find that had over a million there's still only like 1.2 wow that's very small so the the spaces are small for the internet yeah the spaces are very small um and i was reading a lot about people who were like i want to give up my job to do book talk and i was like how with that many (laughs) but um i was finding that because of people like sarah j moss colleen hoover madeline miller who did song of achilles like their books got just ricocheted to the top because of book talk yeah madeline miller's song of achilles was a teenager in high school during the pandemic so this is when book talk was basically created with people were like what do i do oh yeah books exist during the pandemic oh yeah remember yeah oh yeah remember (laughs) and so to engage in that community they made book talk videos yeah and so this high school girl somebody was asking her because she's doing all these videos on books and they said can you recommend books that make you sad and so she did Song of Achilles, which came out, I think, in 2012, 2013. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember reading it a long time ago. So it's an older book. Everybody thinks it's recent, but it's not. It's because this girl did this video. It got over 5 million views. Wow. Everyone bought it. 
the author was like, why is my book taking off <laughs> seven scared. years later? <laughs> Didn't even know TikTok was a thing. Yeah. Publisher had to explain it to her. <laughs> and she was like, this is great. Like, I'm very happy people Remarketing. are reading my book. Yeah. yeah. And I have that book in my classroom. My kids love it. They're still reading it and they've all That's heard right. of it. But that happened with Colleen Hoover, some book talker, well, I will hunt down, came out and was like, everyone should read this author. <laughs> Probably another high schooler. <laughs> And the teens are all over TikTok. She took off ever since then. So I was even looking at this person who was doing a, a study on, there's this criticism that BookTok recommends the same books and same authors over and over again. Yeah. And predominantly recommend white authors Yeah. as another problem, which is also like looking at top, if you go on the BookTok hashtag, it is mostly white female authors yeah or, or TikTok users. And so that's been a big problem and it's actually led... So that was in like 2020, 2022, it was a huge problem. But in the recent year, there's kind of been a change where because, again, it's such a small community and they talk so much with each other that they are kind of trying to correct it. Mm, Like There is a lot of drama that can quickly happen in that community and people are like quick to try to fix it. So they try to be a welcome space. A lot of book talkers who are interviewed were like, we don't even like saying books we don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. because we don't want to be negative and we're happy that this person even finished a book yeah like that's such a great achievement so they're like in the most will say like you know this is a book I would give to my worst enemy or like that's their <laughs> way of saying it yeah uh back to where people are saying they want to quit their job to be a book talker uh there were conversations about authors will gift them books mm-hmm. and publishers will give them books and will pay them to do a book talk review yeah yeah and it's not super transparent mm in the UK, they have a law that you have to say if it's an advertisement, mm-hmm. but in the US, we don't. Mm. So if anything is gifted or an ad, it does not have to be disclosed. Yoinks. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you can tell is what the research was saying because you'll see that the format of the ad is complete, of the video they do is completely different. From like their normal. From their normal. Content. Because yeah. they've been asked to say certain things or do certain things. Yeah. And so it'll it'll look very different from normal content. But a lot of times, um, from what I was reading, if the community finds out that they didn't disclose, like they didn't at least put a hashtag that says ad or sponsored. Yeah. And that it was a book they were gifted or paid to advertise, like the community will get really mad and kind of backlash. Yeah. But, like, that's still just a self-policing kind of thing. There is no law in the U.S. for any type of product, YouTube, Instagram, any of that. And the damage has been done Mm -hmm. because that book, or that ad or whatever paid review has already been seen by hundreds of thousands of people. And And the responses or the criticism might not be seen by as many. And the payment can be anywhere from hundreds to thousands of dollars for that 30-second video you might have done on just reading a book and talking about it to your viewers. So it's, you know, just in, in terms of like digital literacy, like, you know, you, you just have to be aware of if you see a content creator always promoting an author or or maybe never talked about an author and then out of the blue is like, I loved this book. Mm-hmm. Just like watching out for things that seem a little suspicious, things that make the content look different, because this is a way that publishers are marketing books now, because, yes, it may be a community that is small but it is a community that publishers know will spend money on books well and i was reading that that is kind of where they've been putting most of their marketing money is tiktok yeah because they said it nothing has exploded books more than this platform yeah and if you go into barnes and nobles you'll see recommended by book talk as tables 
You don't see recommended by X or by Instagram. Formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. You'll, it's just book talk. And they have just a specific marketing pool that is designed for um, working with TikTok people. Like there was one, just one publisher who said he worked with a hundred book talk influencers. Wow. Um, and paying them and giving them books to review. Knowing that that's paying off. Like mm-hmm. they're knowing that's paying off. And part of this like marketing strategy is it's so much about pushing content pushing um you know authors to write new books pushing influencers to make new videos pushing audiences to buy books you don't need to buy a book just because it came out yeah libraries exist i that so i did get victim to a little bit of book talk because i desperately wanted to finish court of thorn and roses (laughs) and i waited my turn at the library for my kindle download it took so long that I bought the rest of the books. Oh, now, wow. I did buy them off of my favorite used bookstore website, which I cannot remember the name of. Is it Thriftbook? No. That's my favorite. Don't buy on Amazon. Do do not if you're going to buy a book, do not buy on Amazon. Do not buy on, on Amazon. And if you can, buy used. Yes. But, you know, I, I understand, like, yeah, I, I try not to do that. But I could see, like, it's really powerful. Everybody is, it seems like everyone on your algorithm is reading it. Everyone is talking about it. Yep. You don't want to get that spoiled. FOMO you want to participate. So you go out and buy them. And that is what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. So if you can, we both love Libby. Fantastic app yes. where you can get audiobooks, you can get ebook downloads from libraries. If you can get your hands on multiple library cards, you can go to multiple libraries mm-hmm. on Libby. I at one time had four. I know. <laughs> Until I the libraries got on and cut off my cards. Yep. But even with one, like I have an LA County library card. It's fantastic. I can download books all the time. Um, or go to used bookstores. Go to, I mean, Goodwill sells books. Yeah. Libraries will sell books every once in a while for cheap. There are lots of, and there are even online sellers that only sell used books. So if you can, please, please, Don't go please Amazon. avoid Amazon. It, they don't support authors. The The authors you love are not getting their money. They're, and authors want you to read their book in any way you can. They don't want you to just buy their book and make money. I mean, Colleen Hoover maybe wants to make money, but like yeah, that's authors want true. you to read their stories. That's why they write. So look around to find alternative options. There are so many yeah. in this point. Well, and like with money too, um, there has been a lot of... I think there's been an increase of authors engaging with their communities mm-hmm. to either their well I detriment mean, or this is not new. Cassandra Clare herself was a, a large figure in the Harry Potter fan fiction community, <laughs> but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> but I, I I see what you're saying. Like yes, a book TikTok has allowed people to interface with their fans in a way that maybe are not always the best for them well because again it goes back to parasocial relationships too of feeling like favorite topic i have followed this author and i've engaged with their content for so long because there are some authors who like i neil gaiman i feel is everywhere i love that band yeah he's on every great platform (laughs) he's so good on tumblr he'll actually engage with his fans and he's been a writer for like what, almost 30 years or something like so he's written so, so many things like there's things i did not know he translated princess mononoke the studio ghibli I just show. am finding that out now because you're telling me yeah and so i feel like now we're getting to the point too that some maybe not so much with these big name authors but smaller authors and things like that are now writing less for themselves and mm-hmm. more for the community and their fans because yeah. there's this worry of money now. If yes. I want to do this full time. 
And there's actually a really good movie coming out about this, <laughs> where there's a an author. It's about an author who his books are very well written, but are not highly read. Mm. And so they, and he's an African American author, and they ask him to write a new book for like a white audience, essentially. And it becomes he writes this satirical, like hate you kind of book, <laughs> and it becomes a bestseller, and he's miserable. <laughs> And that's what I think is, is happening here is we're, we're seeing more and more of that. Um, or we're seeing there's these book talkers or just TikTokers or influencers who are now coming out and writing books. Yes. So there was a book yes, talker which... who, yeah, she came out with a book and was promoting it, promoting it, promoting it and like talking it up and talking about what happens to it to her community. Then the book came out and people read it and some of the things she talked about did not actually happen in the book. Like, she made cool. up some of the stuff. <laughs> and so the community freak. got really mad at her, but her book became a bestseller because she hyped it up so much. And there's a bunch of people who, who were made TikTok famous or whatever, and people mm-hmm. bought their book because mm-hmm. they knew them from these platforms. Yes. Um, there's, like, cooking YouTubers who came out with their own cookbook, and people would not have bought it before if they didn't know right. them from YouTube. I've bought cookbooks from cooking YouTubers, and I would not have gotten them before. Because yeah. now we have a parasocial relationship, and I mm-hmm. want to help you out. And yeah. I'm like, oh, you're funny. Is your cookbook funny? <laughs> oh, I hope so. Can you read your funny cookbook? <laughs> yeah, so I think just, like, in conclusion, like, being careful about these marketing strategies and realizing that authors, like, they only have so much that they can write, and it might it might be in our best interest to allow this industry to slow down even though there's so much pressure to keep it going. So like as consumers, mm-hmm. how can we slow down our consumption or go to these places like libraries and use bookstores and not just order books the second they're released off of Amazon? Yeah, I would just encourage people to like look for other books that aren't <laughs> just the book talk ones too. Yes. Like look up just a query for a, a like you like fairies just type that in and read a couple within yeah. that genre and you'll find out that they're all the same book. But or like there are great uh, resources for reading lists of like authors of color mm-hmm. or queer Absolutely. authors. Um, you can find a reading list for any type of interest or group that you belong to, and they're not going to be popular on Book Talk because they're either old. <laughs> Or old meaning like pre twenty ten. Pre twenty tens when we when we were born. <laughs> but yeah, like there are there are lots of different types of books out there, and just because everyone is reading a book, doesn't mean that it's going to be good. No. And just because there are reviews of it on Book Talk doesn't mean that those are honest reviews. Yes, or they're not. Because I also I've gotten to the point where like I talked on all these books, and I cannot give a book below three stars. It's hard. It's so hard. I'm like, you wrote a book. You wrote a book and I didn't. That's amazing. And you wrote more of them after. Yeah. Like, for me, three stars is... I've given one book one star, and it's The Discovery of Witches, and I hate book talk. <laughs> okay, okay. I am ready to read that, but I just got it from the library, so we'll we'll come back to we'll do come back to talk about the travesty that is that. I know people like that one, too, and are actually going to be mad at me for that, but... God, I hate it so much. <laughs> Sarah DeMoss is a queen in comparison. At least things happen in her book. Oh, we'll take that. We'll take that final piece of praise for Sarah J. Moss for Jane. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to be putting you on the spot a little bit here. But okay. because we are recording this in the last days of 2023, mm-hmm. I would love for you to give the audience your top three books from mm-hmm. this year. So I'll go first because I've been looking at my Goodreads list. <laughs> yeah, I have mine somewhere. So my first book recommendation for, that I read this year is, I read this actually in January of 2023. 
so way way at the beginning of the year it's called how high we go in the dark by sequoia nagamatsu it's a um it's a book about a plague it's you know very triggering if you didn't get if you didn't handle covid well um but it's all about the way that it's it's basically written as vignettes you can read it almost as short stories but it's the way that society and specifically like japanese society is dealing with death after Mm. this incurable plague um, has decimated the planet and there are concepts in it like death hotels where you go to stay with your family members ashes and that's the only way to visit them because there's no more room in the ground to bury bodies Um, there's like a a, an amusement park where they put sick kids on and the roller coaster kills them as their kind of like final time on earth it's it's really intense if you want to cry <laughs> I, I recommend it yeah, that's um, but this is his first full book and so it's it's really good as a debut book the second book i recommend is called bunny by mona awad i have that on my list i recommended it to you so many times that's probably why it's on my list <laughs> i have seen it on tiktok so if you consider it a book talk book i'm sorry but it's incredible um, and I would say that the way that this author deals with female relationships mm-hmm. is incredibly unique. And it's also a horror novel, so it's unsettling. Um, but they deal with these tropes of, like, the pretty popular girls in grad school in a really mm-hmm. interesting way. Um, so I really recommend that. And then my third book that I recommend is The Maidens by Alex Michelades. Oh, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, one of my friends absolutely hates this man and hates these books. Oh, no. <laughs> but she liked The Maidens. The, she didn't like the other one he wrote, The Silent Patient. But The Maidens is, is all of his books have therapists as main characters, so a little self-insert for ah, me. I see, I see. Um, but I thought that The Maidens was uh, really interesting. It deals with, it's a murder book. It's a kind of like a... Yeah, that's what Silent Patient was, crime I remember. solving book. Um, the twist at the end is incredible. Didn't see it coming. And I think based on what we talked about today, kind of like these tropes of male and female characters, this book flips them on their heads very intensely. Um, and I think as a therapist, it's interesting to read about a therapist character that doesn't have great boundaries, mm-hmm. but then sometimes has great boundaries. And it's not just that they have sex with their clients. Mm-hmm. It's like boundaries in other ways that Good, are interesting. Always, <laughs> it's everything always there to that. <laughs> So those are my top three books of 2023. Okay. I'm looking at what I read this year. Um, I had like 10 that I put, but I'll narrow it to three. <laughs> um, there's one I read as a nonfiction book. <laughs> like one of my only ones this year. <laughs> and I loved it. Like I, I don't even know if it was a five out of five for me, but for, I, I like keep thinking about it. And it was called Sorry I'm Late. I Didn't Want to Come. Ooh. And it, it is this uh, shy, introverted author who she's writing about how she realized like she's saying being introverted is not a problem like needing to recharge your social battery is fine but she was also just like cripplingly shy Mm -hmm. and she moved to a new place with her husband and had no friends no and so she was like this is a me problem i need to figure out how to make adult friends in my 30s that is one of the hardest things to do yes and so she like a test interviews all these therapists she interviews psychologists she goes to all these places and her goal by the end is she's like i'm gonna do stand-up comedy (gasps) yeah so cool and so it's her talking about this journey of her trying to learn she also wanted one of her goals was i want to have meaningful conversation yeah she's like she lives in the uk and she's like all we talk about is soccer or football. football. And she says, I want to actually be able to ask questions like, do you feel lonely? Are you sad? Are you doing okay? And she's like, I want to have those conversations with strangers on the the subway. The tube. Not just go on my phone for my one hour commute or whatever. Yeah, totally. 
like get to know people and have dinner parties and things like that. So it's just about her journey of kind of coming out of her shell and yeah. not needing, you know, her, her, she still needs to recharge and stuff like that. Yeah. But she talks about all these experiences she has, like joining an improv troupe. Wow. And going to these classes. She joins like the friend Bumble and meets strangers to have coffee dates with. That's so cool. And so it's just a really, really good book that talks about being introverted or being shy and struggling to make friends that I really, really liked and just identified with a lot of parts of what she said. (laughs) She talks a lot about men too. So I think anyone could read this book and identify with the feelings. The other one, it's kind of a tie between Tress of the Emerald Sea, which Brandon Sanderson's one of my favorite authors. This man, (laughs) during the pandemic, when like nobody was writing, he was like, I'm going to write four books and not tell anyone about them. (laughs) So these are called his secret project books. And this is one of them. And it was him and his wife worked on it. They based it partly off the Princess Bride. Cute. But with the idea that instead of her waiting for the guy to come back when he disappears, she goes to look for him. Oh. Now, it's not like those characters, but that's kind of the premise of like... Like a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Yeah, it's this guy she likes. He disappears. She like leaves her island. There's this magical element, and she goes looking for him. She basically turns into a pirate captain at one point. Nice. And it is definitely an example of writing a heroine well. Like Brandon okay. Sanderson is very good at writing these dynamic, personable, flawed, but with not needing to deal with any type of like <laughs> assault or drama in that regard. She's still like she's very strong in character, and I think she does fight at some points. But like it's it's she likes to collect teacups. Cute. And she's just this very cute character, but is also very strong-willed. And she gets scared, but is very yeah. understandably scared at situations and figures out how to deal with things. So it's a very well-written book. I love her character. Same with um, Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Why I love this book, aside from since childhood being obsessed with fairies, you would think I like Sarah J. Moss more. <laughs> um, this character is written in journalistic diary style of her... It's like one of those Oxford professor types ones. And she's writing this encyclopedia. It's like a world where fairies exist and are acknowledged. And she has her degree, her PhD in it. Mm -hmm. And she's finishing this encyclopedia in some like Icelandic island. And what I love about this main character, Emily Wilde, is she does not care about anyone. Like she (laughs) is so academic. Like she will be interviewing somebody and they will be saying how their like child was abducted by fairies and replaced with a changeling. Yeah. And she's just inappropriately fascinated while they're talking to her. <laughs> and that is her character the whole time. And it is very well done to not see this overly emotional, jealous female character. <laughs> like, she's just purely academic. And I loved her so much. So it was a very different kind of female protagonist for me. Yeah. Last one's an audiobook, so it really counts, which is um, Dungeon Crawler Carl. If you like D&D, I highly recommend this. It's actually only an audiobook. Wow, you see how she snuck a fourth book in there? I know, I gotta sneak. sneak. It's an audiobook, doesn't count. <laughs> but it's so good. I am. My husband knows I'm obsessed with it. I've listened through them basically twice at this point. And they're, if you like D&D and video game type books and humor mixed with dystopia, mixed with like, man, this is fucked up. And it is a very, <laughs> very good book series. Alrighty, well that brings us to the end of 2023 and to the end of this episode. So... Jane, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you for having me while I cough through the whole <laughs> thing. You survived, and you survived another year of teaching since the last time you came on the pod. I know. So we we wish you well, and 
you know, drop a comment if you want Jane to come back. What what topics should she talk about? She knows a lot about books. Yeah. So we could do 300 more book episodes if those we are could. interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you as always for listening all the way through to the end. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.